Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I'm joined by John Davis. John, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing, Corey? I'm doing good, man. It's a Friday. It's beautiful weather. I already got a work, good workout in, so it can't get much better than this right now. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And same with me on my Fridays. I usually start off at 6 a.m. Got a couple of groups that I coach on Fridays. Try to get my workout done about 7, 7, between 7 and 8. Yeah. And then from there, like you said, once the day gets going on a Friday, man, that just helps steamroll everything and good positive vibes from there. So what what did you do this morning? So this morning for me, a little bit of some sprints and speed work. Started uh-huh. off with some sprints. Yeah. Started off with some sprints, some dynamic effort, lower body work, and then finished with a nice little 10-minute MRAP, 15 cows on a, on a air bike, nine kettlebell swings, and then 12 push-ups. So I was going through that for 10 minutes, get some blood flow, right? Some kind of total body movement, get myself going. Because I usually play soccer on Sundays. Ah, uh, okay. Ho- holiday weekend at this time, when people hear this Memorial Day weekend. So yep. Yep. This weekend I'm off, so I got in some extra conditioning works since yep. I'm not going to play on Sunday, so got after a little bit more. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, man, let's let's go ahead and give the listeners your background, what you've done you know, educationally, what you've done professionally, and then talk a little bit more about what you're currently doing. Yeah, so been a strength and conditioning coach now going on 10 years. Started off in the sector. As a strength and conditioning coach, what used to be velocity sports performance. From there, transitioned to the team sports sector, went to the Division II route, was the Academy of Arts. Strength and conditioning coach, assistant strength and conditioning coach there, was in charge of baseball, track and field, girls softball, as well as basketball, which again, was surprising at the Academy of Arts that they had that, but really high-level athletes, surprisingly. Mm. From there, went to... Stanford was at Stanford there for a little while. Just gotcha. work at Stanford, just kind of interning under some coaches there. Uh, the Division Two ranks went into the private sector. I've always had to think for the private sector, just being able to touch with more athletes and more clientele. So the majority of my time has been spent in the private sector, arranging anything from all sports, volleyball, track and field, baseball, you name it. Even down to CrossFit, approach CrossFit athletes, had two CrossFit athletes get to semifinals in doing that. Wide range, like I said, over the last 10 years. As far as education, done internships for Exos, Altis, uh, have my matters, precision nutrition, level one, level two. So wide range of diverse background in terms of education and experience over the course of my 10 years as a coach. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely have a diverse background and That actually is one of the first things I noticed about you. I think I got to know you because it was one of those Twitter things where because you follow somebody and they like to tweet, then you saw it on your feed. And I kept kept seeing this John Davis guy. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know him. I don't follow him, but I keep seeing his stuff. And I just noticed that you were able to see things from multiple angles, multiple perspectives. You actually considered hey, why would somebody be doing this in this situation? Why might that be the case? Why, what are the arguments for? What are the arguments against? Like you, you just were able to come at things and 
think about it and re- not just jump to conclusions, but without knowing you, I was just like, okay, th- this guy probably has a, has done some different things. He's probably been in multiple situations, multiple environments. He's probably sought out multiple avenues of education. <laughs> and I guess that's something that I always somewhat prided myself on, like from a coaching perspective, almost all of my experience is collegiate athletics. That's it. I spent a very small amount of time as a personal trainer and, and large group fitness instructor, but everything else has been collegiate athletics. But I have always sought out different areas and not, and not have been, have, have not been afraid to do that. And so I saw those in you, which I think it was awesome. So I'm glad that Twitter came through for me on that front. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. No, yeah. yeah. The algorithm can be tricky sometimes, right? <laughs> with, with the suggestions and people that it recommends, it can definitely be tricky. But to your point, that's something for me, like I said, being majority of my time in the private sector is it allowed me to have a bigger viewpoint, mm-hmm. of life, right? Is initially, I think for most coaches who were former athletes and that played in the collegiate level or anything, your goal is to get to that rank. And so you're one-sided in your thought pattern. Of, I just want to be in this ranking. I see things through that lens. Whereas me in the private sector, you have to be able to adapt right? You have to be mm. able to adapt to the various types of athletes and people that are going to come to your door, Yeah, right? You're not always going to work with leads all the time. You're going to have a general population and ranging, you know, kids all the way up to adults and seniors. And so for me, I constantly had to seek out knowledge in order to adapt to the various people around me, right? I'm starting to see more coaches do it now where they're reaching out to the other avenues, right? Mm. As you're reaching out besides just the basic strength and conditioning world, but reading things like psychology, behavioral, learning about human behaviors, learning about yeah. nutrition and what goes into that. Because now you realize that the person that you see in front of you is more than just athlete. You have to recognize now that you have a human being in front of you that has other areas of interest besides just the strength of conditioning that you're putting in front of them on paper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the, the fact that people are doing that now and that they are able to is a strength of social media. Whereas otherwise, I think about the time when you and I came up in the field, emails and phone calls like that. That's what that was that's it. what you had. Maybe the the DVD that like Championship Production put out. <laughs> I, I remember the old Mike Boyle DVDs and the and some of the other DVDs we had and stuff. But yeah. other, other than that, it's like you. <laughs> I don't know if you ever experienced this, but it was you would write an email to a coach, mm-hmm. hoping they'd get back to you. It was almost like you're, you're, it was almost like a nerve wracking experience. Oh, I better write this perfectly. If I have one spelling error, this big, this coach at this big 10 university isn't even going to write back to me. And now I've, that's luckily gone away. Yeah. I feel like for the most part, but, but now social media just allows you to uh, be aware of other things. And I think for the most part, that's a good thing for the field. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, it's allowed us to now connect with other coaches at yeah. a faster rate, right? Yeah. It's like, it's that, so that's why I say one of the beauties of Twitter is you can interact with somebody really fast and go through it, right? Like you can end up going down a rabbit hole, mm. just knowledge after knowledge. And it can be a little bit of information overload at the time, right? No where doubt. you're not able to filter through what's good from bad. And that's part of it where a little bit for us growing up is we did have one streamlined service, right? You did have to send that email. So you really have to be intentional with you with the amount of knowledge that you go and you're trying to seek out. Whereas today it's hard for younger coaches because there is so much mm, out there. It's almost the opposite. So yeah. It's almost the opposite, mm-hmm. right? So it's like 
what coaches do I follow? Is this information correct? Is this information not correct? So that for us, I think it what helps us with the experience of being able to know good from bad throughout all of our years. And I think it's also upon us as veteran or senior coaches to help guide younger coaches on what's good information mm-hmm. and what's bad information and making sure that we're putting out things that are relevant in order to help guide the feel in the right direction. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. I feel like one of those things that is getting, it has been getting a lot of attention and rightfully so, but it's still probably, I don't think we could probably talk about it enough is just the communication side of things, the relational side of things, the, the aspect of how to connect with people and how to do so across multiple demographics, multiple mm-hmm. age ages and types of people. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's where I think you're a great guy to talk to about this topic, just given the situations you've been in. So the first question I want to ask really, a really important one to start here is what's the, what's the best movie you've seen recently? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> best movie I've seen recently. Uh, oh man, you put me on. Uh, if we're going to go, if we're going to go action, we're talking to some friends. John Wick 4 was really good. Yeah. Really like John Wick 4. I like the whole series. The whole series of John Wick has been really good. Yeah. If we're going to go like TV shows, Ted Lasso. Really oh, Ted you're, Lasso. You're, expanding, you're expanding the question here. Yeah. But movies, I would say yeah. the best, the last good movie I've seen would probably be like John Wick 4 yeah. has been something I've seen. I'm a big movie buff. Yes. Like I, I go to the movies pretty much every Friday. Something comes out. So I'm um, there for anybody that follows me on Instagram knows like I'm always <laughs> yep. at the movies and I love going to the cinema, right? Like mm. it's my favorite pastime to do is getting a large plate of popcorn and sitting there and enjoying a good film, right? It's like you can shut off the world for however long the movie is mm-hmm. and just watch cinema. So there's a reason I asked you that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if you follow John on Instagram, he, he will yeah, he goes to a lot of movies and he'll give you his rating you know yeah. Yeah, i always look forward to it because yeah. i'm like all right what did john think about this <laughs> but the reason i and the other reason i asked you that, that question is because i know that goes into your approach as a coach i've heard you talk about this before where like the more interest that you have it makes you more relatable and it, it allows you to relate to people a little more if you have some knowledge of pop culture and have these interests kind of outside strength conditioning. So there's a multiple purpose for asking that question. So from there, man, I guess just start off on maybe some things that are really big focuses for you when it comes to communicating with your athletes, relating to your athletes, and then from there, I think we can get into if there's anything specific based on certain demographics. I think that'd be be good to explore. But we'll just start yeah. off in general. What are some of the big rocks for you when it comes to to coaching your athletes? So for me, I've always said, like I said, being in the private sector is I take more of a client centered approach, right? And I think most coaches should do this. A client-centered approach means what does the client want, right? What does the client want? What is the athlete looking for in front of them? And I think that's where our field has dropped the ball a little bit, right? Is 
we tend to look at athletes through the lens of our own perspective. If we tend to say, okay, this athlete plays this sport, I'm going to train this athlete like this. And we forget about the human side, like I said earlier, the personalization side. And so I think for me, being in the private sector, like you said, going to the movies and expanding my base in pop culture and expanding what's happening outside of just strength and conditioning allows me to connect with people on a deeper level. Because at the end of the day, that's what people come to us for, right? It's mm. for that connection. And so when it comes to personalization, it starts off with asking the athlete, what is it that you What is your goal? From there, you allow the athlete to now establish their own goal. Okay, what do I want to accomplish? What is the timeline for me wanting to accomplish this goal? Is it two years? Is it six months? Is it four years from now? Is it an Olympic cycle? Sure. Now we can start to delve deeper into what the client wants and then break things down, right? So now from there, I can start to sit back and say, okay, what makes an athlete tick? What is the, the meaning and rationale behind them having this goal? And then we get into, like I said, the personalization side of developing the strength and conditioning plan that goes behind that. But it all starts with, again, taking that personalized approach of asking the client or athlete in front of you, what is the overall goal that they have for themselves? separate from if they're part of a team, what is the team goal, but what is the athlete's individual goal outside of the team goal? Yeah. So is this something that in your experience, you, you just haven't seen people do? Um, so I, f I feel like asking like the whole goal setting thing is almost cliche, you know, like right to the point where it almost, yeah, it's just like an afterthought, but like everyone goes mm -hmm. through the motions. So do you think it's an aspect of there's it's still not being done enough or is it not being done the right way? Or what's your take on that? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think okay. it's definitely not being done the right way. I mm -hmm. think for us being strength and conditioning coaches, we tend to focus on just the performance side, mm -hmm. right? Because again, for most of us, our jobs are centered around performance. Yeah. And if we get paid, if we maintain a job, it's all about the X's and O's. Did the athletes' back squat numbers go up? Did their power clean numbers go up? So we're very much focused on just that side, the performance side. And so we miss the other side of the spectrum of the personal side of what's internally going on. What's the internal motivation, right? Is we don't ask those questions because oftentimes we're very limited. If you're working in the collegiate sector or you're working in the pro sector, you're very limited on the time that you have with an athlete. So being able to sit down and ask those questions is not something you're really able to do. So that's why I believe most coaches need to put a bigger priority on, hey, let me send it ahead of time. Before the athlete comes in, let me send a questionnaire out. Let me send a deeper dive into what exactly the athlete's background is and mm. what they're looking to accomplish. So that way I can do all of my background research and homework prior to them coming in now I get a better perspective of when this athlete comes in, I know what type of personality they are. I know what type of visual learner they are or they're an auditory learner, right? Mm. Or when motivation gets down, I can refer back to the sheet and say, hey, this athlete's motivated by this, right? Yeah. Because I heard recently on a podcast, it was uh, Phil DeRue has said mm. this, and they might know Phil DeRue. He said this on a podcast where he asked Dave Tate and he said, hey, what's your motivation now as a coach? He goes, I want to win. And Phil asked him, he goes, why do you want to win? He goes, Dave, I've always been a winner. It's something I've always done. So my goal in life is to constantly win. 
He goes, you contrast that with an athlete now who's already made money, who has a family, who's now just trying to stay healthy. Their motivations are completely different. Mm. Right. So yeah. if I have an athlete who's already making millions of dollars versus an athlete still trying to make the team, their motivations are completely different. So the way that you approach those two athletes have to have different approaches to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I'm trying to make the team, I'm probably going to work a little bit harder. I'm going to work a little harder. I'm going to show up. I'm going to forfeit going out, that kind of stuff. Where if I've already made millions of dollars and I'm just trying to stay healthy year to year. My motivation is different because I have a family to take care of now. Yeah. So you have to make sure your job is not only help me perform, but to make sure I'm healthy enough to go home with my family and hang out with my kids at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. I think understanding the motivational aspect of psychology and behavior was probably the biggest shift. One of the, one of the biggest shifts I had as I was continuing to grow as a coach and you mentioned you're certified through Precision Nutrition and, and I am as well. And they were one of the leaders in that space as far as yeah. if someone's not following your nutrition, true nutritional guidance, it's not necessarily because they're lazy. It's not necessarily because they're, they don't want to. What are, the, what are the actual things that are impacting their behavior? Let's uncover those, mm -hmm. let's unpack them, and then let's target them. And then maybe they'll follow the things they need to follow or do the things they need to do. So right. that aspect of coaching, I think, is absolutely critical. And it is, I would say it is a little harder in the team environment. Would you agree with that yeah. to do? Because the team goals are always over, they're always overarching. Like they're always hanging over the thing of like, our, yes, we need to respect and understand that everybody's going to be motivated by different things. They have different roles on the team. Yet, this is something I struggled with as a coach a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah. There's an aspect of a team dynamic where if like an athlete kind of just feels like he or she can do what they want, mm -hmm. it, it just affects the team or, or whatever it is. You know, I just, so I always struggled to do, know what to do with those types of athletes where it's like, all right, I know like you have these motivations or certain things aren't as, as important to you, but for the sake of this team for the sake of the culture, I don't know if the way that you go about doing things is, is the best for what we have going here. Yet, I want to respect you as an individual. And I know that if I try to put a square peg in a round hole, I'll probably just make things worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yet, I'll agree. <laughs> yet, I also understand that there's got to be some element of unity here. We can't just treat everyone different. I don't know. I, I What's your take on that? Or what's your perspective? Because you were... You had a heavy coaching load in the D2 setting. You had a lot of athletes. Yeah. And I guess maybe talk about the contrast there. Yeah, no, I, I think, like you said, is there is a unifying goal. At the end of the day, when you're in team sports, there is a unifying goal. So that's a bit of a motivational factor. Is yeah. Everybody wants to win. The team has the dynamic of we want to get to this goal at the end of the season. But you, you hear it all the time when it comes to culture. Mm -hmm. This is like culture building that coaches talk about. And this is where understanding the personality type that you have within that team is what creates the culture, right? Mm. But if you as a coach don't take the time to get to know those individual personalities to some extent, you're really now have a group of individuals that are trying to collectively achieve a goal. But at some point, you're going to have rifts. Mm. There's going to be rifts within there because of the individual motivations that you have within that team dynamic. 
So it comes back to, again, establishing what is the overall identity that the athlete has within themselves more than ever now than today. Because each individual athlete today is a business, (laughs) right? And that's something that I think more coaches need to understand. And I, a lot of the older coaches hate this. And this is a bit of the divide between the younger coaches, younger generation and the older generation. Athletes now, every single one of them is a business. High school all the way up, they all have their own goals that they want. They have their own Instagram following, their own mm. Twitter following. They have a bunch of different people that are pulling the knobs and pulling the levers, as I like to say. So what you have to do as a coach now more than ever is figure out who's pulling those knobs and levers. When you talk to the athlete, say, hey, you may have this agent in your ear. What is this agent telling you? Or what is your parent telling you? And now what do you want? And then now what is the coach telling you? So now, like we talked about before, there's this sociogram, as I like to call it, right? You have the athlete in the middle, and then you have this person. Your job as a coach is to tie all of those pieces in together that's ultimately going to help the athlete and the team get to where they want to be. So now you have to, as a coach, and again, most coaches don't like to do this, you have to make those phone calls and connect with all of those different entities. Hmm. You have to talk to the agent. You have to talk to the parent. You have to talk to the coach. You have to talk to friends and family, whoever they may have, and say, who has the most influence in your decision-making? Yeah. So now you can come back and say, hey, here's what I want. Here's our goal as a team is to get them here. Now, you're telling me your individual goal is over here. How do we mesh those two to help you build your brand, which you want ultimately to build your brand, but you ultimately have to do that within this team dynamic at the same time? Yeah. See, and that's coaches tend to think the team dynamic overrules the individual dynamic. Not anymore. Before that used to be a thing. Now, athletes are like, I'm the brand, (laughs) and the team follows my brand more so than ever before. Yeah. I mean, it can't be denied that it's a growing reality. You know what I mean? Like it absolutely cannot be denied. So now here, I guess here's where I will just throw, throw another situation. So as the vast majority of coaches, I I was at the NAI level. I was in charge Mm of, I don't know, 300 to four, three, 300, probably athletes, the vast majority of D3 schools, half to a two thirds of that student body is athletes. So. I know that if those coaches are listening to this, the first thought is, okay, that is that seems a little unrealistic for my situation, or those players aren't really there in my situation. They don't have agents or as many outside entities, influences. So how would you adapt or how would you change your process or suggest changing the process in those situations? So when you're at a smaller school, like I said, that's a blessing to not have as many outside influence. Yeah, it's, right? it's a trade-off. It's, I, I would also, it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you may not have the best athletes, but you don't have the drama that comes with it. So for those coaches, and we do know coaches in the lower level, a lot of them tend to be overworked because there is three to 400 athletes for three to four coaches. And so it's hard to go through that process, right? But again, that's where the team building comes in. Mm is doing the team building type activities. It's getting a gauge of who are your leaders within that team and seeing who the team leader is and how everybody bounces off of that one, two, or three people. And you'll see everybody thinks in groups, right? As we know human behavior is to think in groups. Mm. 
we always want to be part of a social group. And that's one of the main reasons why athletes join teams is why you play team sports is you want to be long. You want to be part of something. So if you're a coach working in that lower level and you have three to 400 groups, find out who your leaders are. Delegate, see who your leaders are and see which athletes resonate with certain leaders on that team. That'll give you a perspective of what personality types your athletes tend to gravitate towards more, right? Is you'll have your more aggressive leader, your more assertive leader. You may have someone who's more so shy and reserved. You have athletes who are going to gravitate to that. You have to be run run so who's going to be the one that screams and shouts. Now you can see which way the athletes and the teams are going. And now as a coach, okay, I have to make a decision. Which way is my team leaning? Mm. Are we more of the, the raw side or are we more of the, okay, I'm quiet. We're reserved on that side. Or is that that one alpha where everybody follows? Yeah. So from that perspective, now I can branch off and say, okay, here's how I need to talk to the team because they tend to resonate with this type of message. Mm. And that's where, like I said, if you're a coach working with three to 400 athletes and you don't have the time to get to know them individually, it's breaking them down into those individual type groups. So give us like a little peek behind the curtain here as far as how does this look with, within your internal process? You know, you've mentioned personality types a few times. Do you have your own in specific category? Like, is this something you categorize? Is it a little more informal? Is it, I think about the, what every strength coach loves his or her Excel sheet, right? Do you, have, do you bust out the Excel sheet and have like your, your group? So yeah, give us a peek behind the curtain. Like how does this process work for you? And, and you can use a specific example from a specific team yeah. if you'd like to. Just give us, yeah. give us a, like, yeah, a, an insight into that process of how does this flow and work for you in, like in your coaching? So the way it starts with me is when we do our initial consultation with any athlete that I work with, whether it's, this is both gen pop and regular athletes. When they come to me, I'm asking them, okay, I want to identify their key factors. What's most important? This helps me analyze and establish their identity and what matters most, right? So from there, okay, are we looking at more of the performance side? Does performance matter more to you or does health matter more to you? Okay, that's where we're going to start off. Hmm. From there, I'm going to look at, okay, what behaviors do you have to support that answer? So now comes to me and say, hey, I want to get to the Division One level. Okay, our goal is to get to the Division One level. You're a high school athlete. You want to get to the Division One level. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you, well, what do you think it takes to get to that level? Yeah. So the athlete lists everything down there. Then from there, I ask, what are the behaviors that you currently have that support that goal? So you see, we're breaking it down, right? We're starting at the top and then break it down. So again, the overall goal is at the top. Now, what does the athlete think takes to get there? And then the next step is what behaviors are supporting mm -hmm. that overall goal. So now I can break it down and see, okay, where's the disconnect that's happening? Because you're telling me sure. you want to get to this level, yeah. but then you're, you hear what it takes to get there, but your behaviors don't support those actions to get to that level. So now from there, what I have to do is sort and rate the factors that are most important. Okay, what is the most important thing for me to fix first? Is it their behaviors first? Is it their performance? Or is it their ability to blend everything together? Yeah. So now I have to make a list of what's the most important things, like the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. What is the lowest hanging fruit that I need to attack first? For most people in our field, they go straight to the strength and conditioning side, right? They like, hey, if I get your back squat up, if I get your sprint numbers up, that's going to help you get to the next level. 
But again, if they don't have the support and the behaviors outside, nothing you do inside of the gym matters, right? And so that's where we have to go that down. So now I start to break it down. Okay, let's look at the 80-20 rule. 80% of your success is going to come from the 20% of the thing that you need to do most, mm. right? Is we know that, okay, what you're doing inside of the gym is only the 20%. The 80% is what you do outside. That's going to be the biggest thing that carries over into that 20% inside of the gym. So now from there, I go through daily steps to say, hey, I need you to go to sleep by this time. I need you to prioritize eating this much every single day. So now I'm giving daily steps to support those actions towards building to that goal of getting to the Division One level, right? Because yeah. now it becomes a bit automatic in the habits and behaviors that we do that are going to allow us to boost your performance because now that you're sleeping better, you're eating better, your performance in the gym is going to go up. So now based off your performance in the gym going up, your field metrics should go up, all of sure. that. Yeah. That leads to you now potentially getting that Division One scholarship that you want because you built everything up from the ground up yeah. leading into that stage. Right. Yeah, that's that's a very motivational interviewing approach of it's athlete-led or client-centered, like you mentioned right. earlier. When there's friction between what they're doing and what they need to do or what they, when you show that disconnect, um, how, how do you overcome that resistance or that friction? Or is, is there anything that you've delved to in, in the past or any kind of strategies that you use? Because there's probably some resistance there, I would imagine, for some people. Like there some habits or things that they're doing that don't support where they need to go. There can be like a, they, they, that can be almost like an emotional tie <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, yeah, um, no, definitely. What are some ways you overcome that? So for me, I ask the athlete, okay, what are you willing to do? What are you, let's start there. What are yeah. you willing to do? What are, let's start with the things that you'd like to do that you know you're going to do. What are some things that you just flat out won't do, mm. right? There's some things that you just flat out won't do. Like you'll get some athletes where they'll say, hey, I need you to go to bed by eight o'clock every night. The athletes fly out telling you, I won't be in bed every single night by eight. <laughs> it's like, when anybody works in the college sector, you tell an athlete to go to bed by eight o'clock, they're like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So we have to find now a compromise on that. Okay. So what are you willing to do to, to get to that goal? Okay. I'm willing to try to go to sleep earlier or take naps. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to try to take naps. Okay. So let's fit in a 30 minute nap here and there. So we know you're not going to go to sleep by 8 p.m. Yeah. But can we fit in a nap between your class schedule? So say you have a break between classes, you can fit in an hour or two hour nap. Cool. We can fit in a daily nap every single day because you we know you're not going to go to sleep by nine, ten o'clock, but we can mitigate your fatigue by catching that nap a little bit earlier in the day. Right. So now, again, we're making compromise on what the athletes willing and won't do. So that's where, like I said, the understanding the behavior side. Is where mm -hmm. coaches need to understand of like making compromise in the gym. So for some, they may say, hey, I'm not willing to eat breakfast. I'm not getting up and I'm not willing to eat breakfast. Okay, let's find out what you can do. Okay, can you have a bigger snack? Do you like a protein shake? All right, let's fit in a protein shake or something because you don't like to eat big breakfast. So you will do that, right? So again, you're finding easy swaps yeah. that the athlete will do in order to create that compromise. And that's where understanding what the athlete's intentions are and what their goals are. Like I said, it comes back to what is the overall goal and then understanding their behaviors that support that goal. That's what allows you to mitigate the friction that's mm. inevitably going to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. And with stuff like that, I, I always think about, I guess sometimes I feel like strength coaches, they're really resistant on that compromise type thing because historically we're a field of you, you, if you want it, you're going to do what you need to do. And yeah, as you've hinted at it several times, like that's a little easier for people who have this as their livelihood, either mm -hmm. whether that's strength and conditioning or fitness, or it's something they, they care about and have cared about for a really long time. Whereas well, the vast majority of people that we work with don't. It's, it's not, it's like a means to an end. It's something they right. are doing to support the thing they, the other things they want to do. So then I'm like, all right, put yourself, put, just think about your own situation for, for a bit. What are the things that you need to do and you don't do? Mm -hmm. The same reasons you don't do those things are the reasons they don't do those things. Like exactly. the same reasons that you, I don't know, are putting off something you're supposed to do at home or the same reasons that you don't do. Again, just whatever it is that you should and need to do, those are the same reasons our athletes and clients may not do the things we're asking them to do nutritionally, health, mm -hmm. behaviorally, because this is not something that is like part of their being for most of them, like it is for us. So right. that to me is just like a huge wake up call. Yeah. Just think about this for a second. What are the same reasons you don't do things are the, the reasons that they don't do things. It's just, we're talking about a different different uh, uh, end goals or different habits. So for the last 15 minutes or so, I think, we, I think it'd be good to talk about maybe specific demographics as far as mm -hmm. like where the different sectors coaches might find themselves in and just some of maybe your high impact or big impact strategies for coaching, connection, relationships, whatever it may be, you can choose where you want to go with that. Because again, you've been in these situations. So let's start with like kind of the maybe like middle school, high school sector mm -hmm. and what your big takeaways or uh, pieces of advice are for coaches in those settings. So for middle school and high school coaches, the big key, we'll start with middle school. I got a lot of middle school kids that I also work with in the private sector. Oh, for nice. middle school kids, yeah, for <laughs> middle school kids, the number one is talking to the parent. Is, is that something that a lot of coaches don't like to do is first talking to the parent. The parent is going to let you know what their overall goal is, right? So you talk to the parent first, ask the parent, say, hey, they're coming to you for the service, obviously, because they're paying for it. So the parent <laughs> comes to you and you ask, okay, what do you see that your kid needs to work on? Mm. So talking to the parent first, hey, I want my kid to do get better at this, get faster, get stronger. Okay, so we've got the parent side of things. Now, during that time when I'm with the kid, I'm going to ask the kid, and I talked about this with all of my kids, what do you feel like you need to work on? And you have to really dig deep when you're talking to, to kids, right? Is They may say, oh, I need to get faster, or I'm good at everything. I'm okay. I need to do that. So, no, if you have to be honest about yourself and say, okay, when you were playing in a give me an example from the last year's game or something that happened, what did you feel like is the time that you let your team down or something that you couldn't do? So now you're digging deep to see what does the athlete feel like they really need to work on. The athlete may feel like they don't do anything wrong, but they're like, yeah, there was a play in a game where I got beat by somebody or I just wasn't strong enough to do this. Now the athlete's opening up. Yeah. Now they're opening up to you and saying, hey, my parent feels like I need to get faster, but I feel like I'm not strong enough and I don't have the confidence to do certain things. So now your job is to bridge that gap of understanding of, okay, the parent has a goal, the athlete has a goal. 
I need to find ways to make both of them happen. Because the parent, again, it's paying for the service, but ultimately the athlete is the one I'm serving. Yeah. But they don't have much control and say so over everything on a day-to-day basis when they show up and things of that nature, right? right? So you have to bridge the gap between those two. So again, start with the parent first in the middle school sector, then work with the athlete after that, right? And again, that's where you bridge the two on those. Yeah. In, my, in a high school setting, you definitely want to go to the athlete first, right? And now, okay, the parents are more so pulling the strings. Again, depending on the athlete, if you get an athlete with a big social media following that they do now, where a lot of these kids have tens of thousands of followers oh, on Instagram, yeah. TikTok, things like that, you have to now ask, okay, do they have any outside external influences? Are they talking to any agents? Do they have potentially NIL deals? Their parents and their ears talking about, hey, you got a chance to make X amount this month, right? Yeah. So now you have to also talk to the sport coach. Okay, the sport coach wants the kid to get better at this. The kid's telling you, hey, I got a personality. I got to work on this and I got to get this exposure. So now you've got to make sure you're filming video, you're filming content, you're doing those type of things. Is it you as a coach, mm. do you want to take on a kid like that? Do you want to take on a kid where you're going to have to worry about an agent probably potentially coming in or an NIL deal coming in, right? So now you've got to juggle those factors. So sit down again when high school, talk to the kid. What is your goal? What are you looking to do? Who are you talking to mm. at this current moment? Do you have any potential scholarship deals? Do you have any potential NIL deals? Are you talking to anybody? What does your parents think that you're of this whole thing that you have, this following and things like that that you have? So now you have to wait as a coach, okay, and say, I need to get all these minds together and come up with a goal or, or a roadmap yeah. that allows us all to be on the same page. And there's going to be uncomfortable conversations, right? And this is the reason why a lot of coaches in our field avoid this stuff mm-hmm. because it is uncomfortable conversations to have because you're going to have to talk to the parent and potentially talk to the agent and the kid and say, all three of you have different goals. So we need to get on the same page or else this really isn't going to go in the right direction that we want to get it to. That's yeah, that's pretty crazy. That stuff that comes into play in high school, like already. Um, yeah. But if, if you can successfully do that, that just listening to you talk in my head, I'm thinking that that eliminates the assumption game. Like right. I, I assume this is this person's motivation or I, even though I don't know, or I don't communicate with this party. This is what I think they're after. Yeah. If you can, again, successfully navigate that, successfully get these people to communicate with, at least with you, at least you're like involved in and know where they're coming from and can hopefully bridge that gap. I do want to go quickly back to the middle school situation that you discussed. That sounds like a pretty deep conversation for middle schoolers. (laughs) (laughs) Do you find that, I'm guessing this somewhat comes out in normal conversation, right? Or I guess, yes. I'm just, I'm thinking, man, if a middle schooler can answer any of those questions, that's pretty high level stuff. Do you find that's more often than not? Or are there some kids like, I don't know, coach. It's so (laughs) I, I've had I've had a couple of kids of recent, and this is something like I've had middle school kids that have transitioned to high school throughout mm. this for a while. Yeah, and as they start to, a lot of these kids are smarter than ever before now. Like these kids are very aware, like mm. more aware than we as coaches like to give them credit for. Because mm. we like to think, oh, these middle school kids like they've got a smartphone. These kids are smarter than you think. They're learning than you think. But again, it comes back to like you said at the beginning of our conversation, 
It's having a life outside of strength and conditioning. Because now these type of questions come up in regular conversation and dialogue, right? I'm not forcing these conversations to happen. They're just in the middle of our session. Mm. We're chit-chatting. We're talking together. And now these things are starting to come to light more and more. So you may start to talk about pop culture, music, movies, whatever it is. And they're relating back to something or they're opening up about someone or there's an athlete that they like that's their kind of their role. Sure. And they're looking up to this person. So now you're starting to get a gauge of what this athlete values and where they feel like they want to get to and what they want to do. And so for a lot of kids, I've had this conversation with a lot of kids. I asked them, I say, do you want to go to on the play division one ball or do you want to go play whatever it is? For a lot of kids, they'll flat out tell you, I have no goals and want to do that. Their parent uh-huh. wants them to go play at the next level, right? Their parents forcing them to play, but ultimately the kid's like, I really don't want to do this. I'm just doing it because it's a form of exercise or I enjoy being out there with my friends. Yeah. But you can get the sense from that kid, it's not really their thing. They're just doing it to please their parent. So now again, you have that friction like you talked about. The parent has a goal, but the kid's really not bought into it. So the kid's really just showing up yeah. and they're just there for the sake of being there. And so as a coach, you're stuck in this dilemma. And we've all kind of been in this scenario. Do you go to the parent and say, hey, I understand you want little Johnny to play, but he's told me that he really doesn't want to do this. Hmm. So now you've got a choice to make of as a parent, they're going to push back. Oh, what do you know? What do you know? I know what's best for my kid. Yet you're trying to get them to understand you're wasting your money and your time bringing your kid here. When the kid really doesn't want to be here. And for most coaches, they won't do that because that's money off of the table, right? Most coaches don't want to lose athletes walking out the door because they're like, we need to work on keeping this kid here because mm. I've got to feed my own family at home. Sure. I've got things I got to do. So now we as coaches are forcing ourselves to try to train this kid knowing that they really don't want to be here. Mm. So basically what you're doing is you're babysitting that kid, not athlete or group of athletes for that given amount of time when they really could, should be doing something else and you could be putting your time and attention (laughs) towards something else. Yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting situation because one of the most challenging aspects that I found at the NAI level was this situation where, so NAIA, if you're unfamiliar I guess most analogous to Division Three NCAA, but it's scholarships. We can get the mm-hmm. NAI can give scholarships and sizable scholarships, like full rides, half rides, whatever it may be. There's a many times a situation where I'd have an athlete that had just enough scholarship money, where he or she didn't want to quit, mm-hmm. but but they were not in it. Their heart wasn't in it. There they were not. They weren't not. They wanted to quit. You could just tell. And I just, I, that was such a tough situation because you don't want to tell a kid, Hey, quit. And now you're going to be in more debt, but at the same time you're miserable and you're affecting right. the team. Like you are miserable. Like you will be so much happier. Uh, and that's a very similar situation. That I feel like what you described is you don't want to take money off the table, but right. you'll, the kid will be happier. Your environment will be happier. Cause even in the private mm-hmm. sector, if you train a, a semi-private, a group setting, if there's one right. athlete who is just down in the dumps, so the attitude isn't, it just lowers the energy of everything. So I just, for a college setting, that can happen too. Absolutely. Money isn't everything. It doesn't cure all. It doesn't make you motivated. It sometimes can be just the thing that prevents you from doing what you know you should. So 
anyway, let's let's go ahead and hit college and yeah. then pro slash beyond to, yeah. to finish out here. So college, it goes back to, especially now, money is the driver now, right? With the transfer portal mm-hmm. and things like that now, money is the driver for everything. A lot of these kids are able to make a living and make a, 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 a generational wealth without even going to the pro level. Because you yeah. hear these NIL deals of kids. It was the, the girls from LSU recently won championship. Yeah, they asked her yeah. on a podcast. Yeah, they asked her. They were like, would you go pro? She was like, why? I'm making more money now in college than I would going pro. So now you as a coach have to understand, it's like, okay, the kids motivated. They want to win, but they're making so much money now. Yeah. Whereas before, they played for the love of the game. Because in college, that's all you get. And you basically played for the scholarship. You played for your team, played for the school, the logo. So as a coach, now you have to, again, go down and sit to that kid at the beginning, middle, or end of every single year and say, what's the motivation going forward? Yeah. What do you want to accomplish going forward? The kid may say, you know what? I'm happy with my performance now, but I got some brand endorsement deals that I need to go do now. So now as a coach, again, you have to take a step back and say, okay, performance isn't the driving factor anymore. I have to keep this kid healthy enough to perform so that they continue to get their scholarships and their endorsement deals. So I'm not pushing for peak performance as much as I would with a kid who isn't, doesn't have that allotment of money coming in. This kid does. So as a coach, I've got to sit back and say, okay, as a team, we know that this kid's the star. They're bringing in all the money. We know this kid has a big social media following. You don't want to necessarily pander to them and say, hey, this, they get special treatment. But you also have to understand the behavior and the psychology that comes behind that side of it. So now for you as a coach, taking that client and athlete-centered approach where I have to talk to this and approach this athlete as a business person now. I have to approach them in terms of this is business. This isn't I'm the coach and you're the athlete. You listen to me. We're a business entity now. So now we need to run this like a business. Let's make agreements on certain things. There may be contractual obligations that this athlete has. So now again, now you have the agents are really in there. The agents, you've got the school, you've got whatever companies they're endorsed by. You've got a bunch of different heads yeah. that are in this environment. Now I've got to get all of you on the same page. So in the middle sector, middle school, there's the parent. High school, there's the athlete, maybe the parent. When you go to now college, there's the athlete, there's the parent, there's the agent, there's the school. Now yeah. you've got multiple personalities that you've got to juggle, right? So again, now this comes where I've really got to sit down and understand the behavioral psychology of what's happening with all of these different factors and who wants to take this kid to the next level. So what's your advice on balancing that with a lot of the performance metrics that are going to be like demanded of you? Because like in, I'm thinking about like the level of your, you're talking about division one, where these NIL deals are going down. Now it's transitioning to almost more like a pro type setting. Mm-hmm. Yet things like monitoring performance metrics, like pro- you know, show me how you're making us better. That's going to be there too. So absolutely, obviously, if you have a good relationship with the head coach understands, maybe a Gabby Reese isn't, mm-hmm. we're not going to, we're not going to weight her as much as, Maybe some of the other athletes when it comes to X, Y, Z, whatever it is. But yeah, any advice on still managing and balancing that? Yeah. So you still want to, again, we, our jobs revolve around performance, yeah. right? We still need to get the athletes to perform at an optimal level. 
but understanding that this athlete now relies on staying healthy. Mm. So for some athletes, we may consistently push those peak performances. We may push them a little bit harder on their back squat. We may push them a little bit harder for those that we back squat. Sorry, coaches. I know that's a topic. Some coaches, Don't swear on this podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> some coaches make it upset that I said that. Again, theoretical situation, the, the people. Theoretical <laughs> situation, okay? We may push the back squat for an athlete who, whose goal yeah. they need to get stronger. Yeah. Their goal is to get stronger. But like I said, for the athlete who just needs to get healthy and make it through the season, I'm going to taper off a little bit, right? Is my performance metrics are going to be more so on, can you maintain your health? Now, if the athlete's performance starts to drop, that's where you as a coach comes in and say it gives you the authority to step in a little bit more, right? So now, okay, we see the athlete starting to drop and their performance is dropping. We know that's going to affect their bottom line off of the court, off the field. Now I can say, hey, I can go into these meetings with the coaches, with the agents and say, look, I get you guys wanted to make this appearance. You wanted to do this podcast. You wanted to do this show. But their performance on the court hmm. is slipping. Yeah. So now we have to cut back on some of that stuff so that I can spend more time in the area of perform improving performance. But you don't want to make that like on purpose. You don't want the athlete's performance to drop on purpose. No, absolutely not. Right? We don't want that to happen. But it may just be a byproduct yeah. of them spending so much time outside. And again, it goes back to the behaviors like I was talking about. If their behaviors are focused more so on the stardom and the fame and not so much on performance, we've got to reel all that back in and say, hey, we got to reel this back in. So we need your perform your behaviors to support your performance on the court, which in turn would allow you to make more money off of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's just, I just think I love how you, I love how you're accounting for all that. Like it's not bad or good. It just is. Right. And regardless of your feelings, you're not going to change it. It's going to be there and you just have to work with it. So I, I love that. So that's actually, so that's, that's pretty similar to the pro setting. So do you, is there anything you want to add regarding that setting or I'll just leave it up to you there? For the pro setting, again, it's very similar to college, right? It's yeah. for pros. They just got a lot more money. And the biggest thing for pros, yeah. they got a lot more money. Oh my gosh. And the biggest thing for pros is understanding what, part of their career are they in oh uh, yeah that's the biggest that's the biggest thing for coaches is understanding where is this at? are they in year one versus year five versus year 10 should they make it that far the their whole mentality is going to change with the beginning of their career their motivations their goals what they want to do the team's motivations for that completely different in year one versus year five you take for instance good thing right now for example the 49ers trey lance is in year three they're looking at him by now as year three. Like, this is put up or shut up year. Mm. Now he's in year three. He's either going to play or he's potentially going to get traded, get cut, things like that. So now you've got to look at it from a coaching perspective and say, hey, he may be all in training and performance and less on the outside the field stuff. Whereas if I get somebody like Tom Brady towards the end of his career, he's dealing with family stuff outside of it. Yeah. Tom Brady's motivation is completely different. Patrick Mahomes the other day said, I'm concerned about winning rings and less about money. Mm. So you see uh. now from his perspective, he's all about buying into performance yeah. and elevating himself on the field. The off the field stuff isn't going to distract him as much because he's no longer concerned about the monetary aspect of making money. So for you, it's about keeping Patrick Mahomes healthy enough to continue to play so that he can continue to extend his career yeah. versus you take Trey Lance on the opposite side as year three, 
he's trying to make the team or continuously make the team. So now he's got to dial things in a little bit more sure. to make the performance side in. So from you, when you're talking to the athlete, the agent, and those people outside, they're telling you, we've got to keep him on the field. He's got to play on the field because he's got to make, make the team in order for us to make money. Patrick Mahomes is already set. The franchise is happy with him, all that kind of stuff. There's less pushback on everything. And so that's my overarching point for coaches is to understand, again, like I said, where's the levers of commerce? Mm. Who's pulling everything at this moment, right? Is understanding how many hands are on the wheel. Do I have five hands on the wheel? Do I have 10 hands on the wheel? Who's all driving this car? Yeah. And so the more you can understand at the very beginning of how many people are driving the car, the easier it becomes for you to design your programming, to design your nutrition, to design everything that encompasses improving performance. But I have to figure out who's driving the car yeah. first before I do anything else. It also just helps you. I feel like it it's, puts you in the right frame of mind too, because let's say there's someone who has a lot of hands on the wheel. There's a lot of other stuff going on. Maybe they're not as, they're not as concerned about winning championships. They're, they're, their position on a team is secure. So may, maybe they're not going to push it as much. Well, you know what? That doesn't mean that because they don't maybe listen to you all the time that you're a bad coach. It just, exactly. you, you got to understand what is driving their behavior. Mm-hmm. And that is, it just kind of lets, not, I don't want to say lets, lets you off the hook, but it, it takes the pressure off a little bit because yeah. you just got to understand that if I understand what might be guiding the behavior, what might be driving decisions and why somebody may or may not do what I want them to do or do everything they quote unquote should. If you understand, like you said, the hands on the wheel, if you understand like things at play, that makes just the whole picture a lot more clear and makes what the, what they do a lot more understandable. Absolutely. Yeah. And understanding, like I said, the overall point is, Players are brands now, right? And you have to treat players as brands because they are their own individual yeah. brands underneath the umbrella of the team. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that's what you're dealing with now. You, like you said, you may not like it. You may not want to accept it, but it's the reality that we're in now as yeah. coaches in our field, that it's no longer just about performance metrics. Everything else comes along with it. Same for our own business as coaches. It's taking that approach of you are a business now. You have mm. to treat yourself and carry yourself as your own personal brand because that's what you are. People are buying into brands more so than ever. Is I don't want to say that LeBron James is different than the Lakers because the Lakers are the Lakers. But if you look at the way that situation is playing out, the LeBron and his brand is controlling everything that the Lakers as a franchise yeah. does. So now you have, you may not have never thought that in your mind. It's like a player should never be bigger than a team, but you're seeing it play out now. No doubt. Players now are driving what the team does. And so if you as a coach are oblivious to that and you don't want to accept the fact that this player is calling shots more than you might think, you're going to find yourself in a bad spot. And you may not like it. It may hurt your feelings that the player feels more valuable than you, but it is what it is. Yeah. No doubt. Well, hey, man, this has been a great conversation. There's a ton of good takeaways here for coaches. So if someone doesn't already follow you, where can they go to follow you and find more about you, learn more about you? 
So you can follow me on Twitter. It's Twitter, Mr. J underscore Davis. So Mr. J underscore Davis. And then on Instagram, it's the opposite, Mr. Dash J Davis. On uh, Instagram, did you follow me there? Twitter and then Instagram, the algorithm, whatever. <laughs> and then if you want to just reach out to me, any coaches, like I said, I always open up my DMs and messages to any coaches who want to talk shop. If you know, yeah. my coaches say, hey, do I got to pay you for time? At this point, I tell coaches all the time, I'm here to help push to push our field forward. Right? Yeah. So anybody wants to talk shop, I'm always open for a phone call, text message, whatever you guys want to talk about. Reach out to me, DM, message me, email. My email is there. So just reach out to me anytime you guys get down more it's here. And if any coaches or anybody who wants to talk shop and just help continue to, again, push our field forward and expand the depth of, of what we have to offer. Awesome. That's awesome. Yes. Twitter for John's thoughts. Instagram yes. for John's mo- movie uh, reviews. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the summertime right now. So I will be planning on catching everything in theaters over these next few weeks. There's a lot happening, man. I think for like the next eight weeks, you got Transformers, you got Little Mermaid, you got all that kind of stuff going on, man. I love that you mentioned Little Mermaid. Oh my gosh. I'm going to see Little Mermaid. We grew up on that. I got her. I got to see if they did the live action remake correctly. And I have to. Dude, I'm with you. I, my daughter is three. She, her first movie that she ever was mesmerized by was The Little Mermaid. And these little kids, it's that's all you want to watch. That's all you want to watch. So I kid you not, earlier this week in my head, I'm like, do, do my wife and I want to get a babysitter and go to The Little Mermaid? Wait, what am I thinking right now? What is happening to me? But I also know that if any Easter egg that gets put in there, any difference they make, I'll get, I'll catch it because I can basically recite that movie from beginning to end. <laughs> that was me and Super Mario Brothers. I caught oh. every nostalgia and 80s and 90s reference in Super Mario yep. Brothers. I caught all of every single one. I'm like, yeah, I loved it. There's a lot in, there's a lot in that one. There was, there was a lot in that one. All right, John, appreciate your time today, man. And, and thank you so much. Absolutely, Corey. Thank you for having me, man. And looking forward to, to anybody reaching out. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to the Performance Connection podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Performance Connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.